but to me, it's also the foundation of where the really breakthrough ideas come through. It's just those those folks that seem like they're polar opposites. All of a sudden, when they discover something they have in common, it, it becomes really magical. Welcome to Orlando's Own, where every two weeks, Tim Giuliani brings on one of Orlando's top business leaders to share their insights to building in Central Florida with you. This week, Tim talks to the man who manages all of the chaos at Orlando's latest unicorn, Luminar. From how he got his start in entrepreneurship while roaming the halls of Penn State to ringing the bell at the New York Stock Exchange, this is Orlando's own Scott Ferris. You've been a semiconductor, you've been a COO, you've been a director in a natural skincare company. People know you now as a chief business officer of Luminar. So, so a lot of different industries, different roles. So talk about the continuity there that the, the thread of, if you will, of your career. One of the continuity threads is these are all things that intellectually interest me for different reasons. You know, the, the outlier, I was talking to someone else about the other day, the outlier is this skincare company and, and it's you know, low tech, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's potions and lotions, right? It's low barrier to entry. Um, what intrigued me about that business and the reason I, I got involved and was helping out the founder was just the founder. The founder I was always found as an intriguing individual. Um, he, uh, he had a great career unto himself. He, uh, everyone knows who, if you've bought a pair of sunglasses, you know who he is, but you've never met him. This was the guy that invented the Maui gym sunglasses, but he, but he started off as selling uh, skincare suntan lotion uh, for Panama Jack on pool decks in Daytona beach when he was in high school. And he, he correlated that and he was a wrestler and he correlated that into building this cool little business that's about making natural products to save the oceans. And so I really got excited about his mission and jumped in and, you know, kind of helped him guide and build a business. But you know, these things all, whether it's the semiconductors or the batteries or, you know, Luminar, I joined Luminar because to me it was a once in a lifetime opportunity to, to really join a business that had the scale and opportunity to change the world. And a lot of people think I want to get in it to change the world, but most opportunities don't scale to change the world. This one is if we could figure this out and we made driving safer, ubiquitous and, and, and democratize it, it changed, it literally changed the world. And that was just, you couldn't pass something up like that. So, so this is the Silicon Valley of LIDAR. This was the place, is the place to do it. Now we have the ticker, ticker symbol to prove it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and, there's, and but, but even lasers have this long history in Orlando and, and, you know, the evolution of lasers in the military established to a large degree started here in Orlando. And it was to me, again, it's another cool story. It's a handful of folks, pioneers who were intellectual thought leaders, both in the technology and the application of the technology that happened to land here. And in, in, in the case of the laser industry, Lockheed Martin was the, the, at the time, Martin Marietta was the attractor and, you know, they stayed. And then you've done it in Orlando. So what keeps you, you, you grounded in Orlando? To me, you know, I've done multiple companies in Orlando because it is a sticky place. It's a place once you move to it, even if you move here for an opportunity, um, you enjoy the market so much that if that opportunity goes away, you find other things to do here and other ways to, to enjoy your life. And it's just, it's just that kind of community that, that people, once they come here, really enjoy it and love it. It's, it's, uh, yeah, your, your, your predecessor had a great way of describing it. I, I think that that ultimately led to the, you know, the other half of it moniker, which is 
you know, Orlando is widely known and poorly understood. So how would you, how would you answer the question then? What does Orlando mean to you? So to me personally, this is where I raised my family, right? That, I mean, at, at the essence, this is where I settled down to, to my, for my wife and I to raise our two kids. Like I'd been in Tampa for 11 years, moved to Charlotte for a short period of time. I was a halfbacker, right? And got back there, it was too cold. <laughs> and, and so we, we wanted to come back to, to Florida and we wanted to come back to the I-4 corridor. And I was kind of looking at Tampa and Orlando and you know, Orlando kind of became a last minute opportunity for me, but it was because when I lived in Tampa, I had built some really strong relationships with some folks in Orlando. And, and they heard I was, I was wanting to move back to, 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 to Florida. And, and they called me one day and they said, look, you're, you're, it was funny. It wasn't a, it wasn't even a question. It was a directive as well. You're moving to Orlando. Um, we're putting something together here and, and we want you to be part of it. And, and, um, and so at the last second, I, I, we made the change and, and we moved to Orlando and, don't, and I really don't regret it. It's, uh, it became the place where we raised our kids beyond that. It is a community to me, one of the things I've, really appreciated living here. It, it, a couple of things. One, we, as a city, as a region, we really punch above our weight class. And, and you know, the, the, I, I had to move away to appreciate that, right? Yeah. Tell us what you mean by that. Well, so I moved away, right? I moved to Charlotte. Charlotte's a bigger city, right? Uh, bigger, uh, you know, and more corporate headquarters in many ways. But, but also it, it was a normal city and it, you know, it didn't have the selection of restaurants. It didn't have the nightlife. It didn't have the, the entertainment venues. It shut down. It's kind of an eight to five downtown. It was. Um, and, and, and I, I, after a year of being there, I'm like, well, I, I just couldn't put my finger on it. I finally realized is that, you know, Orlando and the region is scaled for actually having an extra three or four million people on any given day. Right. If you, if you look at our, our, our tourist population, uh, we're, we're really, as a region, driven to, to serve a much larger population. There are guests. They're here for an, a small period of time. But the infrastructure to serve those guests, the community benefits from. And again, that's, again, for a city our size and the infrastructure we have and the venues we have and all the things that we enjoy. Again, that's where we punch above our weight class because, again, we're, we're, we're entertaining people from around the world. Which brings me to my next point. It really is the cross-section in many ways of the United States and the world. The people from all over the country come here. It's, it's very much a, a, a you know, mixture of all parts of the country, both in the tourist aspect, but people come here as a tourist and decide this is a place that they might want to live. And to me, having that kind of perspective, you've perspective of different politics, different ways of living all in one community, really is what makes it most exciting, right? That, that's what I think allows us to 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 want to have the opportunity to say, look, we could be, you know, we can compete with Austin, we can p- compete with these other cities, because we 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 have people that come here that that are here because this is just it's a great place to live, it's great intersections with great people, and there's so much diversity. Um, and and look, the diversity is really what drives it's the foundation of entrepreneurship. Yeah, well, so many. The interesting part of that question. And because of the diversity here, everyone has a really different answer. But one thing you said is, you know, at one point you were a halfback because you went to Charlotte, which means you must have started somewhere north. And Good Source, you know, <laughs> has told us. So when you were in college as an intern, you would roam the halls at Penn State and you would try to find professors that had projects that 
had some type of commercial potential. And then you try to work with them, you know, how, how can that be a value? How can that we market that and, and get some investors involved? So let's turn back the clock, pretend you're back, you're a master's student, you know, master's student, Scott Ferris. And instead of the Penn State professors, you have the, the leaders of Orlando's tech community. So what would you say if, if you were talking to them about what do we need to keep developing more companies like Luminar, be attractive to more investors? You know, what's your advice there? Yeah, it's an it's an interesting question. So, so one thing a, a Scott Ferris master student today probably wouldn't get back into school. <laughs> um, I, I've, I've witnessed this with what my daughters had to go through in their college application process, and I, I would say the bar has has risen significantly, which is great, right? And because what that really means is that the quality of students that are in higher education today. Uh, are are the best I think we've ever had in terms of of what they're prepared to do, um, and and I, I think you know you know now taking that position and saying you know if I was roaming around the halls today uh, with the knowledge I would have today as a student, uh, look I, I think a lot of it is you know how do we create lots of accidental collisions, right? That the thing I learned um, at Penn State, but really through my career, and actually this goes back to your earlier question. Most of the things I've gotten involved in have been out of curiosity, right? I've had a mission to go do something, but I didn't really kind of know what it was going to be. But the experience and the journey of going out and just talking to lots of people, again, getting lots of perspective, and then really kind of understanding, you know, could I connect the dots in a certain way that people haven't done before? And I think that's one thing that, that and again, when I was uh, active in, in, in the predecessor organization, the OEP, that was one of the things that we tried to do was to get people that normally would not engage in a conversation, just to have a conversation. How do you, how do you get accountants from Orlando to talk to physicists at UCF? How, how do you get um, you know, folks that are doing really great work down at, um, at, at Lockheed Martin, for example, on Sand Lake Road to, to talk to other people in the community that normally they would never intersect with. Because those intersections, those random engagements are really where some of the most breakthrough ideas come through. Yeah. I mean, look at you know, how you get LIDAR uh, technologists and creators to talk to auto manufacturers. Absolutely. Yeah. So, 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 so part of the key is, is just getting people that normally would not engage with each other. And I, look, arguably in today's society, that's becoming increasingly more difficult. It is. But I also yeah. would argue that is the thing that I think, you know, we really need to double down on just from a social perspective. But to me, it's also the foundation of where the really breakthrough ideas come through is just those, those folks that seem like they're polar opposites. All of a sudden, when they discover something they have in common, it becomes really magical. And I, you know, there was a project that I was working up at um, University of Florida a couple of years ago it was in the, in the pharmaceutical space. So yet another thing that you didn't, I think you found this one. No, I, didn't. I didn't list them all. <laughs> so I, I was asked by the, the director of tech transfer at UF at the time, was a friend of mine, to, to, uh, to look at some projects up there. And, and I was introduced to a gentleman doing research in semiconductor materials, kind of, kind of it's natural for me to go look at semiconductor materials. And as I started talking to him, he was one of the things, well, this is, this is what I work, this is my day job. This is what I'm, my research contracts are having me do. And it was 
trying to find new ways to make solid state lighting. That's kind of cool. Um, but he's like, this is, this is what I work on at night. This is, this is my side project. And, and I'm doing it with a, with a MD over in the college of medicine who's a liver pathologist. The two part, two cool parts of the story, that core technology, um, is that's what you see today. And the, there's the two first ant COVID antiviral vaccines that roll out. It's that, that fundamental technique of, uh, using what's called CRISPR technology, uh, to, to kill viruses and to do it very rapidly. Again, if you look at how quickly they came up with a COVID vaccine is because this is what this core technology allows you to do. So I know more about this than, than I care to know just because I spent some time working with these professors. But what was cool about that project was that we had a, a physicist, material scientist, engineer, and a liver pathologist. Generally never would have an intersection unless there was a you know a medical condition. And they met at a they met at a friend's backyard beer party, and realized that they had um, basically gone to the same school in, in China at about the same time, uh, and had over the course of their careers had bumped into each other but never met each other. So now they're basically drinking beer together, and they took one idea and another idea and they combined it into basically it was a company called Nanozyme. It was a random event. Yeah, but I think what people might hear is the importance of beer. Well, beer always is. Yeah, it's. By the way, beer is uh, beer is an important equation when people are looking and, and judging how creative communities are. Is how many craft distilleries and craft breweries per capita do you have? That's become one of the new de facto measurement standards. Yeah, it's sort of the freakonomics of entrepreneurship and innovation. You got to have sort of a thickness of the labor market and you got to have a thickness of the connectivity happening. And it's like, how many people can you meet if you go get a cup of coffee at a Foxtail or, or a Starbucks? And, um, yeah, I worry about that when it comes to the virtual world and how disconnected we've become. Yeah, it, that, that is, I think that's a legitimate concern. Um, because, you know, we even talk about this internally is that most companies, again, I think have, that I've talked to, and, and we've been, uh, I think, a beneficiary of that we've actually flourished in this kind of remote workforce structure. I mean, we've done, we did, we did more work last year than, than I think anyone thought was possible, right? We, we, we launched a product, we landed a major global OEM account, and we went public, yeah. all remote, right? It's a good think year. About that. <laughs> <laughs> but how sustainable is it, right? Because a lot of what we, what we were able to do was we have a lot of built up capital goodwill with our employees and with our colleagues be, because of getting together, you know, off hours and doing things in social environments and getting to learn about each other. Now, I, I also say there's also been some good things in this and that, you know, I, I, I know every child that, you know, for people on my team, you know, it, it's because, you know, the fun thing, and I think this has actually been a good thing. I think the, this idea of, life intersecting with business during business hours used to be so taboo. It was, yeah. And today it's actually, I, I think it's actually a really cool part because um, I've been on meetings, and, you know, I've had, you know, kids of, again, some of my employees come on the call and we'll have a conversation. How's school? How's this? How do it? it we are getting some connectivity like that, that we weren't getting before. Um, but, but I think there, you know, I am concerned that we're losing that interpersonal connectivity just because we can't have a beer. Yeah. Yeah. The random connections, the random meeting. And even, you know, at UF, one of the interesting things, I think it's one of only three 
uh, major campuses in the United States where all the major disciplines are in on one campus. And I think it's Minnesota and Ohio State might be the other two, but that that's a value in in bringing people together. And because the new ideas, the new companies, the new products typically come from a new collision and 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 it's not just adding and making something a little bit better. Yeah. So, so there's a, there's this notion of, are, do you, as an entrepreneur, are you more successful if you're a specialist or you're a generalist? Right. Right. I've been a generalist. I've always been a generalist. I'm, I'm again, it goes back to one of your earlier questions. I, I can kind of jump from technology to technology. I am not the subject matter expert on the technology. If I ever am, then probably a company is not going to have a lot of success. Um, but I am, I am the kind of the, uh, someone coined it once the, the anti-chaos person, right? Because in any startup, there's just mass amounts of chaos that goes on. That's part of the process, right? Is that in the early days, there's a huge amount of chaos as the company's trying to figure out what's the right product market fit the you know, all these issues going on and there's no clear answer other than you, you just got to try a lot of things. At, at some point, a business needs to mature and, and you need to kind of move chaos. Chaos is, a, is an important ingredient on an ongoing basis, but it's not the epicenter of the company. And in most of the roles I've had, I've been really the one that's come in to start kind of teasing through all that chaos and starting to figure out, okay, what do we need to do to grow up, to, to, to be a responsible partner for our customer, to be a responsible company for our investors? Um, and, you know, that becomes somewhat agnostic to the technology. Um, it's like going through, going from growing up, you know, from being a child to an adult, there are certain expectations. If you want to be a contributor to society, some people will call it conformity, but, but, you know, part of it, you know, part of that's just necessary. You have to go through that and, and, uh, to, to be a productive member of a larger, a larger population. And that's much like growing a business is, Every day, it's all about the technology and the idea, and and over time, it it has a much bigger constituency that it has to be responsible for. Well, let me let me end on this question then, talking about, you know, who you are and how you operate and and what what you're like at the office. So we actually reached out to a former employee that's worked with you that worked underneath you, and we just asked, "Who is Scott Ferris?" Here's what they said: Don't don't worry. It's, it's, it's all good. Yeah, this could go a number of ways. <laughs> he said, he is so empowering to work for. Never yelled, never got stressed. Always had great confidence. The nicest guy. And that's not easy to do in his position. So obviously it's a compliment, but you know, how do you, and you just took a company public, you were part of the team and played a major role. So how do you maintain, knowing that entrepreneurship is full of ups and downs, you might be on what you think is the the edge. Next minute, you've got a new contract and you have life again. So what's it like to maintain that persona, even though you're going to be in stressful situations? You know, it, it's, a, it's a learn, particularly as a leader in a company, it, it's something that you learn over time. And I think this is one of the things that distinguishes very young first-time entrepreneurs from serial entrepreneurs. Because you, you go through this, this is, you know, entrepreneurship is, is, this is not a linear path, right? And you've seen all these, you know, like squiggly line charts of what success looks like. That really is. Across the valley of death. Yeah. Well, even the valley of death would be great because it's somewhat predictable, right? You know, these are like, like little hurricane plots <laughs> all over the place. Yeah. And, and that's, again, that's normal and it's expected and, and you have to go through it. There's no way of cheating that. You're, you're not going to have that kind of 
instant success. And if you look at anybody who's had instant success, you've really not peered into the story long enough to understand what it what it really was. You've seen a snapshot of the back end. And and to me, I think one of the things I've learned is, um, you know, being a, a, a you know, in Luminar, it's really been, yes, I'm not one of the technical founders. I've been here since the beginning, but to provide calm in the middle of the storm is really an essential part of, of the formula. formula. And you always have to have someone that, that's that's going to do that. And I, I think over time, I've just kind of gravitated into that role. Again, I go back to, you know, as an athlete in high school, you know, I, 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 grind, I know how to grind through things. I know things, if you keep at it and if you, you keep focused, there, there, there is a path, there's a way out of this. It may not seem like it at the time. It seem, may seem like the world is going to end. But if you can keep people focused and move the team along, the way, then the team will find success on the back end. And that, to me, that's the important part. It's, it's how do you move the team along? How do you keep everybody around you calm? But at the same time, how do you make sure that everybody still has a sense of urgency, right? There's a balance between this of, of we got to move quickly, we've got to, but we've got to move smartly and, and we've got to move in a, in a calculated, calm way. And to me, it's about not just me, but everybody around me and how do you move the whole organization through that? And it's, it's not easy because you know, you got, people with all kinds of different personalities you're trying to bring together. Thank you for tuning into Orlando's own. And in our goal of achieving broad-based prosperity, we're looking to turn this show into Orlando's biggest podcast. And the number one way that you can help us get there is by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star review. We've just launched this show and our goal is to get to 25 reviews by the end of March. And these only take 30 seconds, but it helps others find our show. Make sure to come back in a couple of weeks because you won't want to miss who Tim talks to next on Orlando's Own. Orlando's Own is produced by the Orlando Economic Partnership, a public, private, not-for-profit economic and community development organization that works to advance broad-based prosperity by strengthening Orlando's economy, amplifying Orlando's story, championing regional priorities, empowering community leaders, and building a brilliant region.